there was a time in my life when I wanted to be the the next John Mayer. I mean, I was I was gonna be the next hot thing as a singer songwriter. And um, you know, spoiler alert, that didn't happen. Uh, but I've learned some really amazing things along the way, and ultimately, it, it's led me to what what I'm doing right now. And so that journey. I, I used to believe that to be successful, you needed to be standing on stages in front of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, you know, impacting o- o- over, you know, time. I used to think that's what you needed to be successful. But, but what I'm learning today is you don't need a stage to make an impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast, where we know that when you have clarity about your brand and for your business, so do your customers. The Everybody Brands Podcast gives you insight into branding and brand strategy that helps you focus on your customers and empowers you to outmaneuver your competition so you can achieve your company goals and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Soy. On the Everybody Brands Podcast, we help business owners like you build memorable brands and thriving businesses. Today, my guest is Tim Schur, the author of a new book called The Secret Society of Success. Tim really knows what it takes to build a winning team. He spent almost a decade of his career launching two brands, Story Brand and Business Made Simple as COO along New York Times bestselling author Donald Miller. Before that, Tim worked at Tom's and at Apple Incorporated alongside Steve Jobs. Tim Schur is the host of the Build a Winning Team podcast, where he offers listeners actionable advice as he interviews some of the top leaders in business. So join me today as we're going to talk with Tim about his new book, The Secret Society of Success, how you can stop chasing the spotlight and learn to enjoy your work and life again. So welcome, Tim. Tim, I noticed from your bio that you were the COO at StoryBrand and um, you worked alongside one of my heroes, um, Steve Jobs, and, and of course, also Donald Miller. So take us back to the beginning. Like, like you were, you were kind of living your book before you wrote it. So tell us, tell us a story about how you got from where you were then to where you are now. Totally. Well, I just am so grateful for that time working under Steve Jobs and then also spending almost a decade with Don, two visionary leaders. And I, I really do pinch myself at having had even the opportunity to, to do that. Um, there's a story that I love uh, and Apollo, uh, we all know the story of Apollo 11, right? You have Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, you know, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. But what's interesting to me is a lot of people don't know there was actually a third astronaut on that mission and his name was Michael Collins. So here you have Michael Collins, the guy Ubers <laughs> Neil and Buzz to the moon, drops them off so those guys can do various tasks on the moon's surface while he in the command module, orbits the moon something like 26 times until the guys are ready to be picked up and brought back to Earth. And what would make this a pretty miserable, pretty miserable story is if when Michael Collins gets back to Earth, he sits down with the press and would say something like, well, it sure would have been nice to actually walk on the moon. It, you know, really acted like a victim. 
Uh, it would have been such a human response. And I feel like we all would have, you know, empathized with him in that moment and likely shared those same thoughts had we been in his shoes. But what's beautiful to me and why I love this story so much is actually how he responded. How he responded was he talked about how content he was to have had one of those three seats. He was happy to be part of the team. And, you know, what I think is so interesting is we live in this world, in this environment that says to be successful, we have to step into the spotlight, climb the ladder. You know, and there's a lot of us that then think to be happy, do we actually have to walk on the moon? And so what, what's, as I think about the last 15 years of my life, as I've really stepped into a career first beginning with what is it that I even want to do with my life? And then now, you know, I feel like operating out of my sweet spot and having to had, having had some pretty amazing experiences. I've just learned that for me, the success now that I've, you know, had at some level, finding my dream job, working alongside people that I'm really inspired by, you know, being able to make some type of an impact. I've just learned that success to me is no longer this idea of, you know, fame, money, and power step in the spotlight. But actually, I'm actually defining success more in line with some of these other people who have shown me a new way to live. You know, the people like Michael Collins who would say, hey, a part of the team doing our job with excellence, that is what success can look like. So I, I wrote this book because of, you know, this narrative that I feel like we're all up against and this discussion, this conversation that I really want to you know, start for people, which is how, if, if we're hearing all of this, how do we go about living any differently? What, what is another way to define success? Because there's a big conversation happening, but I just don't feel like there's a lot of people that are giving too many answers. No, you're absolutely right. Because I think people are focused on these big outcomes. You know, think about, think about the, the growth that StoryBrand experienced from, mm -hmm. 250,000 the first year or two. Uh, let me look here. Well, you know it better than I do, but on the notes, um, 16.5 million in revenue. This is, that's a dream that so many you know, business owners have. And, but at the same time, that comes along with, a, I would think, a lot of challenges and a lot of headaches and a lot of obstacles. Um, not, not only just running the business, but also to this fact that Oh wait, other people have this expectation of me that I have to I have to live up to their definition of success. Yeah. That's it. And I think what really what we're up against is, you know, I talk a little bit about this in the book, this idea of the spotlight mindset. So, I define the spotlight mindset as this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. And I think that's the thing that's really tripping us up and you know, there's a lot of ways that the, you know, spotlight mindset really can disrupt our lives. And, you know, I, I have a handful of what I call symptoms of a spotlight mindset. Let me read some of these to you because exactly what you were even just talking about, somebody who's running a business, you know, when we first started, when I was working with Don, this is now, you know, over almost 10 years ago, um, he was making $250,000 a year, speaker, writer, doing his thing, running a conference. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Uh, and what's interesting is I've you know interacted with more business leaders. It almost feels like there's always a next step. There's always a next level. And right when you achieve a certain peak, there's always another peak to chase after. And so, you know, this idea of comparison, you know, are we constantly measuring ourselves against someone else to 
define our own success or define that contentment. So, you know, I, I would say striving is, uh, sorry, comparison is one of those symptoms of the spotlight mindset, but here's another one, striving. Do you, do you struggle to find contentment in your life? Does it lead you on a restless pursuit for more? Another symptom of the spotlight mindset is damaged relationships. Does money, fame, or status trump other things in your life? And are your relationships suffering because of it? Uh, somebody I'm, I've actually been really inspired by is a guy named Michael Hyatt. And this, you know, that particular thing, that damaged relationships was a, a pretty, there's a story uh, in his past that he shares in one of his books that I thought was really inspiring uh, as a, as a, almost a caution, a, 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 Hey, pay attention to this because it will hopefully help you live a little bit differently. So he was given the opportunity to lead a, an imprint at a publisher, Nelson books. And at the time, Nelson books was ranked last in the 14 imprints under the Thomas Nelson umbrella. And he told the then CEO at the time, give me three years and I can turn this thing around. Well, in only 18 months, Michael led a pretty amazing turnaround and Nelson books was actually now at the top when it came to that imprint's performance, team morale, all of these, he was at the top. So he comes home with a bonus check that was larger than his salary the largest bonus check he had ever received. So he's thinking, my wife is my biggest fan. She's going to be thrilled, right? He couldn't mm-hmm. wait to get home and tell her about this. He gets home and, and his wife actually says, hey, we, we need to talk. And with tears in her eyes, she says, you know, your, your daughters need you more than ever right now. And honestly, I feel like a single parent. So here Michael was having this massive success at work but his life and his relationships were suffering you know, because of it. So to me, it's just interesting that sometimes when we achieve these you know, metrics of success, business success, revenue growth, you know, at the top of the charts, sometimes that actually looks like other parts of our life suffering. So if I were to ask you, what is success? I think it's important for each of us to have an answer. Because for Michael at that time in his life, I don't know if this was conscious, but he was crushing it at work. But if you asked him, you know, is success a healthy family? He probably would have said yes. But yet his, you know, just by that story alone, those two things weren't consistent with one another, right? Mm -hmm. So the spotlight mindset, if we're not aware of it, you know, what, what is the, what is the, the motivation for us in doing the things that we do? Why is it that you want your business to grow in revenue, right? And if we're not aware of our motivations, if the spotlight mindset takes over, this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition, if we're not aware of that, and then proactively living and functioning in a way that is more in alignment with what we would actually say is true success, that I think is the beginning of what can lead us on a pretty destructive path if we're not careful. Hi, I'm Donald Miller, author of Building a Story Brand, and I know you've probably been looking for somebody to help you with your marketing. I want to recommend Brian Soy, and here's why. Brian is a Story Brand certified guide. He's actually spent time with me, and he has learned how to create marketing that actually gets results. I think most marketing is a waste of money because it's all designed to make you look good, feel good, all that kind of stuff, not to actually close sales. Well, Brian knows how to close sales with marketing. If you want to grow your company, 
Call Brian Soy and hire him as a marketing guy. You will not be sorry. Yeah, and all of that to me speaks to that last symptom that you talk about of seeking influence. And I've written before about this idea of of pursuing significance over success. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, significance can be success. So tell me a little bit more about this idea of, do you believe you need a bigger stage to have a life of significance? Yeah. Uh, Oh, man. That just speaks so much to me. (laughs) So back whenever I, uh, there was a time in my life when I wanted to be the the next John Mayer. I mean, I was, I was going to be the next hot thing as a singer songwriter. And, um, you know, spoiler alert, that didn't happen. Uh, but I've learned some really amazing things along the way. And ultimately it's led me to what I'm doing right now. And so that journey, I, I, I used to believe that to be successful, you needed to be standing on stages in front of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, you know, impacting over, you know, time. I used to think that's what you needed to be successful. But, but what I'm learning today is you don't need a stage to make an impact. And, you know, there's a, uh, a really beautiful story, a guy named Blake Mykoski started a company that some of us have probably heard about called Tom Shoes. So Tom Shoes now has sold over 95 million pairs of shoes, and they actually were famous for really popularizing this idea of one-for-one, one, the one-for-one one business model. So what Tom's did is, hey, buy a pair of shoes, and, and we'll give a pair to a child in need, one-for-one, one, right? And um, at the time, though, when Blake had the idea for Tom's, he was in Argentina, and wasn't even trying to start a company. He actually just got exposed to a village of kids and found out that they, they didn't have shoes for every single kid in, in some of these families. And in order to go to school, they needed to have the proper uniform, shoes being a part of that uniform. So he's thinking, man, this is wild. If all they need are shoes, surely we could find a way to get these kids some shoes. So he comes back from Argentina with the goal of what if I could, you know, sell a pair of shoes and, you know, ultimately then give one away. And he had a goal of selling 250 pairs so that that following year he could bring back some shoes and give them to the kids in the village that he had just, you know, interacted with. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> some pretty crazy <laughs> stuff started to happen. And on their very first shoe drop, which they, they kind of, that's their giving trips, they were able to give away 10,000 pairs of shoes. And, you know, in the, the business just kind of was off to a pretty fast start and grew to one of the largest and fastest growing shoe companies in the world. But what's awesome to me about that story is he didn't do it waiting for the opportunity. He didn't do it waiting for his stage or his platform be, before he really started to dig into it and find out how he could help someone else. He actually just started with a pretty you know, modest goal of 250 pair to just impact the lives of these kids. Well, what has happened since is, you know, like I just said, they've given away now more than 95 million pairs of shoes. They totally revolutionized the business landscape with this one-for-one model. Now you have people like Orvie Parker and others who have followed suit, but he didn't get there. Blake didn't get there by trying to get there. So there's this idea of what would it look like to show up and do the work for the joy of doing the work itself, mm-hmm. not necessarily for what that work will you know, bring us. 
So here I was as a musician, just thinking, I want to be famous, right? Like I wasn't really out there trying to help anybody. I just wanted to be famous, right? And I've learned some stuff that has actually shown me that if we actually focus on the work itself, fall in love with the craft, you know, be so concerned about helping someone else win and not as concerned about what we will get in response, that is actually, I think, the, the groundwork, the you know, kind of that fertile soil of what can then create some really beautiful things. But yeah, I just don't think we get there by trying to get there. And also, we don't need a stage to make an impact. What if one life at a time was enough? So you might be thinking, well, yeah, it, now he's doing all these amazing things. But I think really for Blake, that was the, the mentality. What, what allowed that to happen was the one life is enough. Let, 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 be, let that be the starting point. And I think it can be the starting point for all of us as well. Yeah. So I mean, in these stories that you're sharing, you know, of Michael Collins and, and, and Blake, I mean, these are people that everybody in the business world looks to because, I mean, I, I use that Tom's example all the time um, in the two decades of nonprofit work that we did to, to help then inspire corporations who wanted to do some sort of cause marketing. It's like, well, you can do cause marketing, but it's more like you need to do some giving to, to align with that marketing in the, in the way that Tom's did or something. But, you know, you talk about being in love with the craft first. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, so I approach it. I mean, I'm a designer. I have an art degree. Uh, I learned the business part along the way. But when you said that, it made me realize, like, I've always approached the influence, the impact that I want to make from the craft side first. So is this applicable to any, you know, any small business as well? Just somebody, you know, who's got a sub-million dollar company? Just this, uh, the idea of, you know, kind of one life at a time, like that kind of thing, falling in love with the craft. Yeah, one life at a time. I mean, can someone who's, you know, got a a plumbing business or someone who has a, um, uh, the other, they manufacture products that are just a component of another product. Can this one life at a time be applied idea be applied to their business in their life as well? Yeah. I think the, the way that this whole thing works is when all of us play our role, regardless of the type of position or the type of business that we may happen to run. Um, and you know, there's a, if you think about the, a concert, for example, right. So each of these roles, each person playing their part is what makes the whole thing work. You need the person standing in the center of the stage. That's the person we're all here to see. But if the person running the lights is not there doing their job with excellence, if the person that is running sound isn't doing their job with excellence, if there's not an usher to show you where your seats are, there's not someone taking your tickets, like the whole thing breaks down. So there's this idea of, it takes all of us to make it happen. And so it, there's this cultural narrative that there are some elevated positions, ones that we should all strive to have. And I actually would say, what if actually, instead of that, we just get really good at doing the thing that we were made to do? Someone mm. who knows a ton about HVAC systems is a skill set I do not have. I need this person to love their job and to do their job with excellence to impact my life, right? And so I think when we all can lean on one another and look to the thing that we all have going for us, 
rather than comparing ourselves against maybe what somebody else has or this other job, I think that's where some really amazing things can happen when we just lean into our own thing. And I had a friend named Al Andrews. Al, um, I, he is a, a good friend of mine. I still have him as a friend. <laughs> I said I had one. I they still have Al. Yeah. So uh, several years ago, Al's running a counseling practice, a private practice. And he started to notice a trend in some of the clients that were showing up. And he, he noticed that a lot more of these people were musicians. And these musicians were actually experiencing some of the same challenges, regardless of how well known they may have been. And a friend of his at the time recommended he meet with a guy named Peter York. Peter York was running a record label in Nashville. And Al says to Peter, y'all invest so much money into these artists' careers, but you don't invest anything into their souls. So why are we risking tragedy time and time again, putting people into this position in the spotlight and actually not supporting them to do that in a really healthy way and someone that can help them navigate that? So Al, actually, he and Peter... For, you know, come to find out, Peter had recently been challenged to go solve this same problem that Al was talking about. So they came up with this little beta program where Al would actually carve out one day a week on his schedule. And, and here's the catch, though. Peter and, and other record labels would foot the bill, and they would actually send artists to be able to come and meet with Al for free, right? So. This is the kind of beginning of what became this beta project, which went from just a single day on Al's calendar to him being booked up for five days because of how well it was working. So now Al turned what was a private practice into a nonprofit organization. And the, the funding for that nonprofit was from people, people like Peter and other record labels now who were you know footing the bill for these artists to then come and go for free. So I tell you that because as you're asking, you know, how does this work for small business owners, right? This one life is enough. Is, is that a, a path that so many of us can head down? And I, I think it is true because that's exactly what Al has done. Al didn't actually set out to help these artists so that he could become more well-known. He wasn't doing it so that he could impact, you know, thousands and thousands. He actually just wanted to help each single client that he had the opportunity to interact with, help them be their best, help them to find health and healing and to, to, to have a friend to get some counsel along the way as they're trying to navigate life's challenges. And that has now had an impact on a lot of people, but no one's ever heard Al's name, right? So success always, success doesn't always look like more people knowing who we are. You know, Al actually, to me, models what a successful career can look like. And so much of the work that he's done has gone unnoticed, unrecognized. And actually, because of the work that he does, he's not able to even talk about the people that he's able to serve, right? Right, right. So, you know, how, how is it that Al is able to show up and do his work knowing that he'll never get the credit for it? But the motivation for him comes from serving alongside somebody else, helping them win, and not really worrying about if he's going to get any of the attention or, or recognition for having done the work, falling in love with the work itself. 
Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that's so like when you said that, that reminded me of something. Um, again, I've had big dreams for the business. Um, I solved a problem one time just by observing somebody do something, which led to that pursuit of a craft literally impacting millions of people every day. And mm. I never gave it a lot of thought until a decade ago. Um, you know, I, I had watched somebody trying to read a Bible um, and thought that Bible just really poorly designed. Designers aren't going to change. I'll design a typeface that makes it easier for the designers to make lines that are easier to read, you know, shorter, more words per line, which led to a project with Tyndale where the New Living Translation has a typeface I designed in it. Holy smokes. That's so, so fun. Yeah. It's, and it's like, and I've, you know, I've gotten emails from, um, from the Amazon rainforest, like, Hey, I'm here to serve an administrator and I opened the Bible and I saw your name in it, you know, as a credit line. I'm like, huh, you know, that's interesting, but it's just like finding these little points of impact where we can create some change and make, and you ask this question, who am I here for? Yeah. And it, yeah. It, you know, that relates to these other brand questions we ask you know, who's it for, what's it for. But if we ask ourselves as business owners and, and just not even business owners, just people every day, like, who am I here for? Yeah. That's, that's just a great question to just start our days with, because then we're focused on the other and not so much ourselves. And that's it. And we live in this, you know, consumerism culture, right? Where in order to sell any products in today's market, you have to position that product through the lens of what's in it for me because all buyers are thinking that whenever they go about buying something, right? So if we as marketers don't present things in that way, we're, we're never going to sell anything. But that what's in it for me mindset, actually, if, if we spend too much time there ourselves, that can lead us down a pretty you know, bad and destructive path. If we're constantly wondering what's in it for me, that's just not the way that I want to live. And so I'm at this event uh, a handful of years ago, and I heard this guy, Andy Stanley, speak, who's leadership expert, amazing communicator. And the, the conference was around, you know, finding our purpose, right? And I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about. How do we as business owners, as leaders, navigate our lives and our careers in a way that can lead us to impact, but really that allows us to operate out of our sweet spot and kind of show up and do our best work without always comparing ourselves to maybe what somebody else is doing or the kind of impact that they're having. So this event's about purpose and these questions, you know, what's in it for me? Why am I here? These are all very natural questions to ask. It's that's like survival mechanism, right? But the more evolved state, the way that I think we have more meaning and impact in our lives is to look outside of ourselves. And so what Andy says is, he talks about the destructive you know, thing that can happen with some of these questions. He said, ask this question instead, who am I here for? Because that question, it, 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 it causes us to still show up and do our thing, to play our part. But we do that in service of somebody else, right? And um, I, I just love this idea around you know, helping others win. And there's a, a, one of my favorite stories from 2020. You have LeBron James and Los Angeles Lakers, and they won the NBA Finals. They were the NBA's best team. 
And, you know, they give out another trophy at the end of the season to the scoring leader, the person in the NBA who had the highest points per game average. And, you know, you, you got a guy like LeBron, you think he has all the talent in the world to win that scoring title. To win the scoring title is a big deal. Michael Jordan, most of us have heard of him, you know, won that title record setting 10 times, right? But what's interesting to me is in 2020, LeBron James didn't win the scoring title. In fact, he wasn't even in the top five. But what he did win that year was the assist title. He led the NBA in assists, meaning the way that he chose to play the game and ultimately how he and his team went, he and his team won, was by him actually involving his team and setting them up to score, right? So there's this idea as you think about, okay, what, like, what is it that I am showing up to do in my work each and every day? Who am I here for? What if success is about the assist? What if you do your work to help someone else win? And when I worked at StoryBrand, I actually did all the hiring. And there was a day that one of uh, a resume came in and, and on this person's resume, one of my favorite companies was listed there. I couldn't wait to talk to this person about what it was like to work at this company. And if I told you the brand name, everyone here would know and you know, know it and likely had engaged with it in some way. So I, I couldn't wait to ask him about it. And so you know, in the, the first interview, I'm like, all right, tell me more. And they said, you know, it's a really competitive environment, but nobody there has your back. And I was like, wow, nobody there has your back. What, you know, what do you mean? And they went on to describe how everyone was so interested in their own success that it's almost they were operating out of this scarcity mentality, which is if I help someone else win, therefore I cannot win. And that's actually not the way that I would, you know, it, the book is called The Secret Society of Success. This group is defining success differently. They are showing me that success can look like serving others, helping others win. The secret society living in that way would actually be one more of abundance, which is I can actually operate with a who am I here for mentality. I can help you win. I can set you up for an assist. I, I, I can be all about the assist and actually kind find all the success that I am looking for. So that is, I think, the, the world and the environment that I hope more of us can start to live into less about ourselves and worrying about our own stuff and actually more about, you know, serving somebody else and uh, really, you know, in story brand language, becoming the guide and, you know, helping somebody else achieve all the success that they're looking for. Before we continue, I want to talk to you about your business. Perhaps the hardest but most critical part of running a business is getting your marketing right. You can keep spending money on marketing without the confidence it's being spent on the right things, or you can pinpoint exactly what needs to change. The Aspire Marketing Report, powered by StoryBrand, is a new online assessment that lets any small business owner understand where their marketing plan is falling short and what it should look like. If you feel like you've been marketing your business without a playbook and wasting money, you'll love your custom marketing report. Take the free assessment at go.aspire.com slash assessment. That's go.aspire.com slash assessment. And, you know, and, and that's interesting to think, though. So 
becoming the guide is so important, but in the role that you're transitioning into, you're also, you're not only a guide, but you're becoming a hero because you're the author. Um, and, you know, people are going to be looking to you to lead them and to help, in a sense, save the day for their, for their lives. Have you given any thought to that, that balance that you need to achieve now as a, as an author of, you know, in a sense, being the hero and the guide at the same time? Yeah, I, I think in this book, when I talk about, you know, stop chasing the spotlight, what, what I think I'm talking about is actually more of a mindset and a posture that we show up with, right? Because I've met some really amazing people that are in the spotlight that actually use it to do a whole lot of good and, and show me a really healthy and successful path that isn't so much about them. One of my favorite you know, examples of this is Tim Cook. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about Steve Jobs earlier. So, you know, Tim Cook is now the CEO of Apple, but before that, he was COO under Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs passes away, and the person that had been groomed for this role is uh, is Tim. So here we are at the launch of the Apple Watch, which was the first new product in a new category since Steve had passed. So they had released some other iPhones and computers, but this is a brand new product. Um, that they're releasing for the very first time. And so here Tim Cook is on national television and the guy asks him a question. Is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? And so think about how you would respond in that moment. Here you are having worked for so long in the shadow of someone like Steve Jobs, you would probably be tempted to let this be an opportunity to let people know how you were the man for the job, how you were ready to take this company into the next era, you know, prove and show your value. But when Tim is asked, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple? What he says is, it's a moment for Apple. I don't think about myself that much. And those two sentences tell me everything that I need to know about how Tim Cook leads. Mm-hmm. Because it's just this humble confidence that he's able to walk and operate from. He knows the value that he plays, but he doesn't need to tell us all about it, right? And in, in fact, in a moment like that, he wants to you know, shine the spotlight on his team and the work that everyone else did to make the Apple Watch possible. And so as I step into this next season, you know, I'm... You know, my name's on the cover of the book. I'm going to be, you know, standing on stages and talking about this topic. But the way that I want to operate, the posture that I want to have is more in line with, you know, Tim Cook, which is leveraging that opportunity to, you know, shine the spotlight on other people who are doing really amazing work to actually show people and, and explain to them how they can live and operate with a new definition of success, how this content can impact their lives for the better. So if I step onto that stage and at the end of it, I want people to say, Tim sure is amazing. He's the best. Like if that is my motivation, I'm sunk, right? And so I think we have to learn to live in that tension because I think so much of our natural wiring would want to make it all about ourselves, mm -hmm. but it is going to be a choice a decision that I'm going to have to make, am I going to make it about myself or am I going to use whatever opportunity I'm given 
for someone else? Am I going to operate from that who am I here for mentality? So yes, it, I am stepping into some new challenges. Uh, and, and, and I think really as much as anything, it's a mental challenge and, and, and a mindset shift that I'm wanting to make time and time again to have it be more about others than for these opportunities to be about you know, myself and, and me getting more attention and recognition. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you shared that story about Tim Cook. That was one of, in, it's from one of the later chapters in the book. That's one of my favorite stories. And just, he talks about the more successful we become, or you mentioned this, the more credit we're able to give away. And yeah, I mean, I highlighted that. That's, that's going to be one of my key takeaways from, from um, the Secret Society of Success, uh, which is uh, Tim's new book. So, um, so as we start to wrap up, I just want you to think three or five years down the road and we're having coffee, maybe at Crema or at the well coffee house. And I love both it, of those places, by the way. So well done. Yeah. Yeah. There's two of my favorites down there too, but you're telling me about the, you know, the impact that the book has had. Just tell us what the success looks like five years from now for you. So it took me the last 10, 15 years navigating some of this stuff to land in a spot where I feel really excited about, you know, my role and the part that I play in this world. Right. And it took me that long to kind of figure it out. And my hope is that this book starting to think for people to start to think about these things earlier in their lives. I just hope it will save them years of having to go through the struggle, right? Because you have so many of these people who are doing whatever they can to get the next raise, the next promotion. And so maybe they're on this three to five year journey. They get there, come to find out they don't feel any better than they did five years prior. So all that was, was operating out of a faulty definition of success, thinking that the thing that was being presented to them as the, you know, the goal, the aspiration to come to find out that it's like a false summit, right? So my hope is three to five years from now, people are, you know, writing emails saying, I've defined success differently now. I'm no longer believing the lies that I'm, you know, being bombarded with. I'm actually doing my thing, playing my role operating my HVAC company and finding a whole lot of meaning and, you know, fulfillment doing that work, no longer comparing myself to someone else's job or, you know, operating a business, constantly looking at someone else's revenue, but that people are showing up and doing the work, you know? And, you know, this is, this is a thing that uh, is really inspiring for me and, and really has been the North Star uh, in writing the book, Albert Schweitzer says, I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. And so that's my hope. My hope is that more of us will start to look at success that way that we'll be less worried about ourselves and you know getting all the attention and, and recognition that we you know are kind of subconsciously craving and we'll start to define success differently and, and define it in a way that's more in line with the way of the secret society and ultimately i hope more people you know feel the the meaning and fulfillment that comes from a life lived more that way 
than, you know, one that is more out of the, the spotlight mindset perspective. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this time. Um, I know I'm going to work hard to be part of the secret society or, or not work hard to be part of it. I'm just going to let it happen. <laughs> and so I think, you know, Tim, your, your enthusiasm is inspiring. Um, how do people find out about the book? Is it secret or is there a way they can find out? <laughs> is there I a decoder ring? You. Yeah, is there a decoder ring? You. Yeah, exactly. So if you go to secretsocietybook.com, it'll, it'll kind of have everything there around the book, where to buy it. It's available on target.com, Amazon, wherever you buy books. Wow, that's fantastic. And I'll post links to that in the show notes and um, we'll put ways in there that you can connect with, with Tim on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Instagram, and at his website. So thanks for joining me today. This has been fantastic. I'm so psyched. to. I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Many people struggle to create customers that build their brand and sustain their business. If this podcast helps you outmaneuver your competition and gain new customers, please open your podcast app and leave a five-star review so more people can discover and listen to the experts and insights we share. Music from this episode is the track Wrong by Dan Hennig, found on youtube.com slash audio library slash music.